This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. If you haven't pulled back the curtains, it's a lovely, bright and sunny Saturday morning. I hope that we find you well and you're getting ready to make the most of the newly reopened local shops and businesses. First off, congratulations to Kilkenny Bay's Cartoon Saloon, who on top of their recent Oscar nomination this week swept the boards at the Irish Animation Awards with Wolfwalkers scooping four awards while their animated series Dorg Van Dango also received two awards. This morning we'll be talking to a local retailer with shops in Kilkenny and Carlow about opening the doors of his business this week after the longest lockdown in the pandemic. Carlow and Kilkenny have a proud tradition of success in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award and with the finalists just announced we'll be talking to the two local business founders who are flying the flag for Kilkenny and Carlow in this year's awards and we'll be talking to a new Carlow startup called Tiny Tipple where aficionados can the delights of the most expensive spirits on the market without breaking the bank. All that between now and 10 o'clock, but first we'll kick off the programme with a chat with economist and commentator Jim Power. Yesterday afternoon, I chatted with Jim and I picked up on an issue that we discussed last week on the programme with Tanish Del Leo Varadkar, and that's the issue of paying the bill for COVID, which is on the minds of many business owners who are worried that when the pandemic passes, we'll be facing a period of austerity made necessary by the billions spent on support measures over the last year. Last week, the IMF urged Ireland to increase taxes. Leo Varadkar told us he was hoping that this could be avoided, instead banking on a growing economy to do the heavy lifting with incremental tax revenue increases based on a rebound of economic activity as the economy reopened. Yesterday, on top of the IMF calls for tax increases, the ESRI released a report saying that broad-based tax increases from the Irish government may be needed to fund future public spending. Not good news for consumers and not good news for business confidence. I asked Jim Power what he thought would happen. Well, the reality, of course, is that in the last 15 months, the public finances here have deteriorated dramatically. We borrowed $18.4 billion last year. We're likely to borrow something similar this year. That is all obviously adding to the significant level of national debt we already had prior to this crisis. So there is a significant debt problem in the country now. And the question is, how will that debt problem be sorted? How will it be addressed? How will you know we get the debt level down? Um, my view at this juncture is that it is mad to be talking about tax increases and so on because in the environment of such uncertainty that we're in at the moment as we try to emerge from COVID, starting to talk about tax increases is totally um, unproductive and indeed it's counterproductive uh, because it's just going to you know make people a lot more conscious cautious than they might otherwise be which is not what we want at the moment so the priority over the next couple of years in my view is for the government to continue to support businesses and households that are in trouble due to COVID and to make sure that over the next couple of years 
that as many of those businesses possible, particularly the SME businesses, will actually survive and prosper and contribute to the recovery in the Irish economy. Because the most effective way of alleviating the burden of debt, and this I think applies to a household, a business, and particularly a country, is through growing your income. So in other words, in an economy sense, growing the national income of the country. So in other words, as an economy grows, um, more tax tends to be paid because there's more people working, companies are making more profit, so um, people are spending more money, so there's more tax. You get tax revenue buoyancy. Um, and on the expenditure side, likewise, you know, as people come into employment, um, as social welfare payments start to reduce, um, you get this automatic reduction in expenditure. So economic growth is the way to get this debt back under control for the foreseeable future. Um, I do believe um, sometime down the road we are going to have to take a serious look at the balance between taxation and expenditure in the economy. And one of the reasons why I believe that to be the case is because of demographics. Over the next couple of decades, we are going to see a significant aging of the Irish population. That has implications for spending on health, spending on the care for older people, and also on pensions expenditure. So that's an issue we are going to have to address, and the tax system will have to play a part in addressing that problem. But at the moment, the notion of suggesting fiscal austerity at a time when the economy is still not out of a COVID crisis um, is absolutely nuts in my view. Um, and if, 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 if you talk to those small businesses around Kilkenny who are now starting to open up again and hopefully you know, the remainder will open up um, over the coming weeks as hospitality is allowed back on stream. Um, you talk to those businesses at the moment about the notion of higher taxes, and I think you'll get your answer fairly quickly. Yeah. So I was quite astounded, actually, for the ESRI to come out and say this, and it's kind of typical of people who are in secure permanent jobs and secure pensions. Um, it's totally removed from reality, in my view. Yeah, um, and it comes on the back of the IMF, I think, the previous week. And it was something I put to Tanish de Leo Varadkar when I spoke to him last week on the programme. And his view was that, much the same as yours, to allow the economy to do the heavy lifting. Do you think that's what the politicians will be uh, aiming to do? Because that would seem appealing across all uh, shades of the political spectrum. No one wants to see tax increases, consumers, businesses or politicians. Uh, indeed, Sean, that, that is absolutely the case. Um uh, if you think back to what happened after 2008, 2009, um, and indeed the 2009 budget from the late Brian Lanahan stands out as a horrible day for Ireland. And it, was, it wasn't Brian Lanahan's fault, uh, but the public finances were in serious crisis. So what we saw at that stage was a significant increase in the tax burden and massive cuts in public expenditure. And we're still paying the price for those policies that were pursued at the time. And indeed, this is a global issue, not just unique to Ireland. And the International Monetary Fund and others have subsequently admitted that austerity back in those days was the wrong policy to pursue and that it wouldn't and shouldn't be pursued as the global economy and indeed the Irish economy tried to emerge from the, um, 
aspect of the COVID crisis. So austerity, um, in my view, should be given a Christian burial mm. um, for the foreseeable future. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just not something we should even contemplate at this stage. We obviously will need, ultimately, to restore balance to our public finances between spending and taxation. But as I say, the most effective way of doing that is through generating economic activity. One thing uh, you ask about, you know, and I, I talk about the tax burden sort of longer term, one of the things that the IMF uh, suggested, of course, was the introduction of proper water charges. And I have to say personally, I've got a lot of flack for this over the years, a lot of abuse indeed. Um, I believed the introduction of water charges on a whole range of different fronts was a good idea. Uh, but of course, there was a, an amazingly strong political backlash and um, the political classes um, were too lily-livered to actually proceed with it. Yeah, and a lot of kind of... Um folk memory among politicians of uh, about that which has made them shy of a lot of things and I, no- I noticed the ESRI also uh, recommended charging the local property tax on up to date valuations do you think that's something that would be a good idea or will even get any traction uh, yeah I, I think uh, the introduction of water charges and a proper property tax um you know, should be part ultimately of the restoration of proper balance and creating a sustainable footing for our public finances. Um, because we are all now still paying property tax based on valuations, I think, that were taken about 2013. So obviously a lot has changed since then. But of course, in this post-COVID environment, as we try to emerge, now is not the time to even think about that. Mm. That is a debate for a couple of years down the road. Um, and I've no doubt it is something that will be revisited. But politically, um, it would be absolutely suicide at the moment to even contemplate such a of action. Yeah, now on your uh, very entertaining and informative podcast The Other Hand, which you do with Chris Johns, the uh, economist um, you discussed recently about COVID scarring um, and differing views on either side of the Atlantic What do you think? Do you think the Irish economy is going to be permanently scarred uh, by COVID? I, I, as, as I've sort of said to you a number of times over the last 12 months, the impact of COVID is, um, is very two-faced. You know, at, at one level, we have... Um, there have been sectors of the economy that have done very well. And indeed, um, yesterday, um, the CSO published data showing what happened to household wealth last year. And a lot of people who continue to earn, a lot of sectors that continue to do well, accumulated wealth last year. But on the other hand, we had a segment of the economy in the hospitality sector, the airline industry, anything to do with international travel and tourism, non-essential retail, all of those businesses, personal services like hairdressing and so on uh, they suffered enormous damage and many of those businesses are now left with significant debt legacies Mm -hmm. because revenue liabilities have been parked commercial rates may have been parked they may have got some concessions from their bank in terms of interest payments and so on but at the end of all of this there will be a lot of accumulated debts for those businesses most of which we would classify as SMEs or small and medium enterprises and the problem of course is that many of those SMEs 
SMEs may not survive over the next couple of years because of that debt, debt legacy. And those SMEs are incredibly important for uh, the streets of our villages, towns, and indeed cities around the country. So that is the scarring I would really worry about. Those small businesses in retail, restaurants, pubs, etc., uh, that will not survive and that we will be just left with a further depletion of our uh, streets. Mm, and so whatever about um, break, or COVID scarring, Jim, um, Brexit is leaving a lot of scars, but they're largely in places that aren't getting a lot of attention, really. Um, you know, I spoke to, again, the Tawnished, and he seemed to accept that, you know, it's not getting much, much coverage, but there's a huge amount of pain going on, particularly with small and medium-sized businesses due to COVID, uh, Brexit. Yeah, yes, uh, there, there is no doubt about that. Um, and it's amazing how in the first um, nearly five months of the year at this stage, Brexit hasn't been mentioned very much other than in a few the odd dispatch. But the, the reality is that our exports to the United Kingdom are down by just 2.7% this year, okay? Mm. But, which isn't an awful lot. It's 83 million in, in absolute terms. So it's, it's not a huge amount of money in the first three months of the year. However, if you delve beneath the statistics, the food sector, the agri-food sector um, is being absolutely hammered at the moment. Um, and, and that's where the real pain has been felt. And many of those businesses are SMEs. Um, many of those businesses who export at all, it is mainly to the United Kingdom. And that has become incredibly problematical. So there we go back to the indigenous SME companies again. Um, on the on the other hand, if you look at what's happening on the import side, or imports from the United Kingdom, well, sorry, from Great Britain, excluding Northern Ireland, were down by over two billion in the first three months of the year. That is a decline of about forty-seven percent. It's quite incredible. And what we're seeing, I mean, there was a story that was broken by um, a journalist in Waterford uh, that I sort of contributed to last week about the shortage of flakes for 99s <laughs> and that's that that was just indicative of the impact brexit is having um the supply chain has been seriously damaged and we are seeing the scarcity of stuff on the shelves a lot of which comes either directly from or through the united kingdom so in answer to your question brexit is having a significant effect on parts of the economy um, and those parts of the economy are very important for rural ireland they are mainly SME companies that are already under the cost from COVID-19. So I, I think this is an issue we will hear more, sorry, we should hear more about over the coming months. Okay, well, look, hopefully the weather will improve, Jim, and we'll be actually down on the seafront in Tremor or Ardmore or somewhere or Dungarvan, and we'll be able to have flakes in our 99s. Uh, wouldn't that be great, John? Um, you know, I think, okay, the, the weather at the moment is obviously having a very, um, pardon the pun, a dampening effect on people's mood. But if we were to get an improvement in June with the reopening of the economy, I think you'd see a very strong rebound in confidence and spending and economic activity. Absolutely. So bring it on. Bring it on and hopefully we'll all have enough 99s to go around. <laughs> Thanks very much Jim. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie 
You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, it's that time of the year when the nominees for the final of the prestigious Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year are revealed. In this area, Carlo Kilkenny has a strong tradition with very many well-known business people featuring in the final over the years. This year, there are two nominations for Kilkenny and Carlo. Microgen Biotech is a Carlo-based company that develops high-tech solutions to increase crop quality and yields and break down toxic pollutants. The last time we spoke to founder Zume Germain was last July, I think, when she she scooped the Extreme Tech Challenge uh, Award, which is a very prestigious international award. I'm delighted to be joined by Zhu May on the line. Congratulations, Zhu May. Uh, you're a finalist in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Great, great tribute to you and your project. Thank you very much, John, and thank you for inviting me back and to speak again. Thank you. Yeah. Um, tell us what this means to the company. Yeah, I, I really think this is um, very important for my team and then for the people that support me along the side because um, you know, having these awards is recognizing in Ireland and the team feels very excited and um, they feel like it, what they do is, is really valuable and, and contributing to, to Ireland economic and, and to the world. And at the same time, I, I believe all the people supporting me and supporting the company along the journey. You know, for example, at very, very beginning, we are just an egg that hatched in you know, business IT Carlo. We have the, uh, the IT Carlo president, Patricia, down to Declan Doyle, Brian Ogilvy, and also my supervisors, my founders. And the, all, these, all, all these people support me you know, along the journey and, support, and, where, and, and make us achieve where yeah. we are now globally and also in, in Ireland. Yeah, you mentioned globally um, your company and the product and the service you provide very much uh, a global ambition that you have. Just briefly tell us what services and what products Microgen Biotech develops out of its Carlo office. Yeah, so Microgen Biotech, we develop a microbial, natural microbial-based product that can prevent the uptake of pollutants, for example, heavy metal, toxic heavy metal, lead, arsenic, and, and cadmium from the soil to the crop. So um, then, the, you know, then you know that gives us the healthy crop when you're eating rice and wheat or potatoes, vegetables, they'll have less toxic. And at the same time, by applying these microbes and, you know, combining with the seeds of the soil, the, the, the yield of the crop going to increase and also the, uh, the clean up the soil pollution. So you can see this is a problem. This is a problem within the home food and soil system globally, you know, including Ireland and in Europe and in US is a really, really big problem. Mm. And also we're already using the product and the product already get approved in China and we already have a really good strong team, about 25 in China having revenues, already use the product Health China to improve the food safety and also to clean up the soil pollution at the same time. So it is global play and we are constantly getting query from Africa and also the Southeast as well, you know, like uh, for, 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 the, for using our product and solution. With, but we just have to expand our team, build, build, our, build up our muscles and for international uh, 
expansion. Yeah, uh, when last I spoke to you, uh, we met up in the campus of Carlow IT, another damp Irish summer day, um, but you were in the midst of recruiting uh, for the company. How's that been going and how big do you see the company getting? I understand from talking to you just before we came on air that you've opened a Dublin office. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, we're going very well. Um, at this moment, there's uh, three layers of recruiting. So the top layers, you know, you know, everybody can know, know ourselves with the company. We are a startup and very, very important to have an executive team, really high performers. And at this moment, we are recruiting chief financial officer, chief um, uh, commercial officer and the director of R&D. And we have the, uh, all, you know, all of them have the candidates now already. So with the, the two, um, uh, the financial officer and commercial officer will be joining the company within next one to three months. And the second layer is that we are recruiting, which is to strengthen our R&D capacities here. Uh, we are recruiting, let's say, about eight scientists, PhD levels. And uh, we have a two already uh, recruiting already, and we have another six uh, now in the process. And they again supporting team like uh, like other accounting and uh, also the uh, IT people supporting. So by the end of this, by the end of the next couple of months, we will have uh, about fifteen twenty people to join our team here in Ireland. And also uh, we are, you know, so, so we have the uh, have the office now set up um, security in Dublin, in Novo UCD office and lab space there. So our people are going to be, have people business headquarters in Carlo, have office in, in, in office and laboratory in Dublin. And, uh, but toward the early next year, that's going to be have a US expansion. We're going to set up laboratory over there as well. Well, congratulations, Zume. Uh, great you. to talk to you again and best of luck in the EY Entrepreneur of the Year competition. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie Kevin Brennan, Managing Director of Modubuild in Kilkenny. Congratulations, you've been uh, nominated in the international category of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Big uh, honour for the company? Yeah, thanks very much, John. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great honour for the company. Yeah, it's great for a, a, a local Kilkenny company to get recognised as a, a player on the international scene. So, yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. now, international scene, you work a lot with data centres and also with the pharma uh, industry. And I was very impressed. I have to say, uh, to see that your company last year in 2020 uh, also scooped the large pharma project of the year award. Now, 2020, huge year in the pharma industry with COVID, etc. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a, that was a great achievement for us. Yeah, um, so like, as you might know, we, we have a, a large manufacturing facility out in Castlecomer, which we opened a few years ago. So. Yeah, during COVID, we delivered a, a multi-million euro vaccine laboratory for a for a, an international biopharmaceutical company. Um, we constructed the entire facility in our factory in Castlecomer while the, the site was getting prepared and delivered it to site. And uh, I think we delivered a finished project within about seven and a half months for a for a building that would normally take about two years. You know, and did it during COVID, so it was great. And where was this client located? The, 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 the project site. It was actually a Chinese company who were building a. a, a a very large project um, up in Dundalk in County Loud. Wow. Yeah, so so basically we designed and constructed the entire building with all of the systems, everything inside it, the the electrical, the mechanical, the laboratory equipment, the incubators, everything Mm. inside the, the, the building. 
at the same time that the, the diggers were getting the foundations ready and, and as soon as the foundations were ready we had the building ready to ship it up on, on trucks with uh, overnight and, and, and reassemble it in nine days. Yeah, now that gives a good clue as to what the company is about. The name of the company is Modubuild, which is a further clue, but just explain it to me briefly, the type of work that Modubuild actually does as well as in the pharma industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in the name, modular modular building. So, so yeah, everything we do is about you know modularizing and offsite construction. So, we we we're involved in high tech construction. So we don't get involved in houses or anything like that. So we work in two main sectors. We work for data center um, companies right across Europe. So the big technology companies that that I'm sure everybody has heard of, and we also work for pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical clients to build laboratories and, and production facilities. Yeah, now you're... F- sorry, yeah. go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I was going to say, and we, 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 we do kind of off-site projects like what I mentioned in our factory, and we also do on-site projects where we have people on projects all over Europe. I think we've, we've worked in 11 countries. Yeah, so right. you'd actually know what the inside of a data centre looks like, and you've Absolutely. even built them. Absolutely, yeah, we're involved in probably all of Europe's largest data centres, you know, so we... We, we follow our data center clients, you know, um, these are mega projects all over Europe, so right from, from Spain, Poland, Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, right up, where our, our most northerly project is actually up in the Arctic Circle in, in Sweden, in Swedish Lapland. Yeah, now you're in the international category of the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. You, you, not only have you international ambitions, but you've actually established offices. You have them in the Netherlands, you have them in the UK, Belgium. How big can this company get? Yeah, so yeah, we have, we, we always say we're a company with global ambitions. So yeah, um, we're, we're an ambitious bunch of people. So yeah, we have we have a number of offices opened in different regions. So it's you know, all, all of our design and engineering and obviously manufacturing is done here in Kilkenny. But obviously, we need to have a local base in, 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 in the different countries that we're operating. You know, size-wise, we'd expect to turn over something around 50 million this year. But, you know, we, we have ambitions to reach about 100 million by 2025 is kind of what we're aiming for. But I suppose the sky is the limit. There's, there's, you know, the, the industries we're working in are very active. And, you know, we once we have the ambitions to, to follow our clients, we're, we're, we're happy that we can continue to grow at a, a rapid pace. Yeah, now if I'm a Facebook or a Google or an Amazon or a Instagram or one of these people who's in the market for, for data centres, Castlecomer and Kilkenny wouldn't be places that would be top of mind. What's the key to your success being, you know, developing an international business out of Kilkenny? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, it's having, I suppose, we, first and foremost, we have great people working for us. You know, we, 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 we've worked hard to attract the best talent in the region. We probably have one of the biggest design offices in the southeast of Ireland, you know, and I guess it's having it's having the design and engineering capabilities in house. It's having the global reach. It's being able to go wherever our clients want to go. You know, for example, we have a client that wants us to do deliver a project up in, in Swedish Lapland. A lot of companies would be frightened to take on something like that, but you know, we have years of experience of going into countries, getting set up, getting registered, getting offices set up really quickly, and mobilising people there. And then we also have the, the manufacturing facility back in Kilkenny, where we can take a lot of what would normally be constructed on site, we can actually take it back into the factory and construct it in Castlecomer, which means there's less people travelling to these projects throughout Europe. We have better quality and you, know, you reduce risks with safety and, and all of that business. So, so you know, that, that, those are the reasons our clients want to work with us. 
Well, Kevin, best of luck to you and to everybody associated with Modubuild in the upcoming competition. Thanks very much, John. Great to talk to you. Okay, Kevin. Thanks very much. That was uh, Thank you. Kevin Brennan from Modubuild, finalist in the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Ivor O'Loughlin from Tiny Tipple. The heart of two counties. KCLR. Now, last Saturday was World Whiskey Day and uh, the whole world of whiskey has seen huge growth over recent years and we've covered it before on the programme. We've even got distilleries in this here area and whiskey's changing hands for all sorts of prices. But a company in Carlow called Tiny Tipple, you'll find them on tinytipple.com, has been launched, which is aiming to put uh, the joys, I suppose, of premium spirit brands in into the hands of people uh, for fractions of the price for which you'd have to pay for a full bottle. Joining me on the phone is Ivor O'Loughlin, who's the founder of Tiny Tipple. Uh, Good morning, Ivor. Hello, John. How are you? Very well. Now, listen, tell us about Tiny Tipple and how the idea came about. Um, I suppose I've been interested in whiskey for a number of years now. And um, uh, look, uh, there's a couple of companies in the UK have done something similar with more mass-produced whiskies, I suppose, and um, around December 19, January 20, I started playing around with the idea, and we started a little local, and just with a couple of friends, we started a little bottle share group, and I started waxing the tops of bottles and playing around with labels and stuff. So the idea kind of took hold then, and I started working on it. I applied for funding with uh, Carlo IT, and from the design plus side of things there, and um, then, of course, the lockdown came. So, um, yeah, we, we as I said, I stayed prototyping and developing things and trying to build up my stock. And um, yeah, we launched uh, just at the end of March. Yeah, so, and so just to put it in a nutshell, I suppose people will be familiar with hearing about whiskies and spirits, very rare ones, going for all sorts of uh, prices. And someone saying, I'm not going to spend like 450 euros on a bottle of whiskey. Yeah, you're mad. But you're, you actually offer the taste of that in a smaller bottle for a fraction of, of the price. That's the basic offering, is it? Yeah, well, look, it, it, the business is kind of multifaceted in that it, it, it would have appeal for... And people who want to try those more expensive whiskey, but maybe don't want to put out the money. Um, I mean, a Redbreast 27, a 27-year-old pot still by Redbreast, it's a, a core release of theirs, but it's 500 euro. And if you're kind of in the, potentially in the market for um, purchasing one of those, it's a nice facility to have to be able to try 50 mils of it and say look yeah that's worth 500 or no I'll actually pass on that or whatever Um, I suppose it's also a very nice gift to get and that's what we've noticed since the website went live we've we've done these uh, tasting flights uh, not just for whiskey for gin vodka rum cognac and um, they've proven very very popular because it offers it's, it's, it's kind of a unique gift I suppose where you'll get to try multiple different spirits whether it be a mix of spirits or a mix of different types of whiskies or different age statement whiskies or whatever mm. and, and, and you started it, during at the just when COVID was about to make its ugly presence felt that's when you were getting to your feet has it been an advantage to you because pubs have been closed for a huge amount of time and people yeah, presumably it, want it, to it hasn't it hasn't it hasn't it it was kind of um, it's kind of funny thing in that I 
look, as I said in a previous when I spoke to a previous guy about this, that I didn't reinvent the wheel here. Um, but what I have done differently, I suppose, is um, I'm, I'm indi- individually wax sealing each bottle. So if you get a number of these and put them on a shelf or whatever, you know that they're not going to spoil. There's not going to be. Um, there's not going to be any uh, oxidisation because they, they are airtight and they last. And there, there's a real premium feel to them, I suppose. So in terms of gifting, they look impressive. Um, we have different colour boxes for all the different spirits. Um, and look, as I said, there was a lot of prototyping and the guys in Tarlow IT were very, very good. Um, look, once we launched, I, I think the big big success of it has been um, the tasting flights because it is it's a very it's a readily made um, gift for somebody you know um, and it may, may not be something that they, they might buy themselves but at the same time once they get it and get it into their hands it's, a lot of people have said that they're nearly reluctant to open the bottles they're, they're cute little things you know so they can become collectors items in themselves so just about a year on are you pleased with the progress and what kind of future plans have you got um, well, I suppose we, we only launched six weeks, and we only launched this March, so like it was probably a year before I launched, um, where I was playing around with the ideas and prototyping or whatever. So we're still very, very young. And um, uh, look, I mean, we're we're posting um, tiny tipples all over. We've gone to the US, um, all over Europe, the UK, and and an awful lot of business in Ireland. So. Um, look, I think this can grow. It, 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 it has shown that there's a market for it, there's an appetite for um, what we're doing. We've had a couple of fairly limited um, releases. We had the Redbreast 10-year-old uh, as pot still. There was 7,000 bottles that had been released and it was sold out in a couple of hours. And I was lucky enough to secure a number of bottles of that and put it up on the website. And huge demand for it because that's the type of bottle where people even though it was only 100 euro they were mm. sold out so it gave people an opportunity to, to sample it well that's what it's all about well look Ivor best of luck to you and everybody associated with Tiny Tipple and uh, people can find out more on tinytipple.com absolutely yeah well, Listen, good, thanks for having me good talking to you that's Ivor O'Loughlin from tinytipple.com a new startup in Carlow and it's just uh, 14 minutes, uh, 16 minutes, I should say, away from 10 o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. Now, over the last week, many people heaved a sigh of relief as they were able for the first time for a long, long time to get back into retail outlets. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by Philip MacDonald of Detail Menswear in Potato Market in Carlow on High Street in Kilkenny. Good morning, Philip. Morning, John. How are you? Good. It was a long hour stretch, that last lockdown. Uh, 137 days, John. <laughs> wow, and that, that kind of uh, well extended the last lockdowns. We've, we've had three so far, I think. Yeah, the first one now, and I just did a couple of numbers on it. The first one was 82 days, the second one was 40 days, and this one, 137. So 259, John. <laughs> wow, 250. So your doors have been closed to the customers um, for 259 days since March of last year. That's quite yeah. incredible, really, isn't it? Yeah, it is incredible. Um, listen, Paddy Power would have given you some odds on that one. <laughs> yeah, and just to remind people, when did the doors first open? It's quite a while ago since the doors first opened on Detail Menswear. Uh, we are here on Potato Market, Carlo, uh, since 1988. So we're 33 years in October of this year. Wow, and never uh, one like it, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, believe it or not, and I think I said this to you before, John, um, we are actually the oldest business on potato market. So it just gives you an idea of how the town and the dynamics of Carlo have changed over the years. Yeah, and change um, happened hugely. Um, you, as that very popular word, pivoted online, and, and when last we spoke, you were keeping your head above water and, and doing quite well, really, in the online thing, but nothing beats bricks and mortar, really, and coming in and actually feeling the suit. No, it's um, it, it's amazing even to just to the lads, the, the, the guys that work with me, uh, one of them, David there, just even said, leaving on uh, Wednesday evening, he said, Philip, there's nothing like having people in the shop and just meeting them on a one-to-one. It's, it's absolutely brilliant. He was actually buzzing leaving on, on Wednesday evening, you know? Great to hear. Um, but on a, on a practical thing, you know, a lot of exercise pounding the, pounding the shop floor. You must have missed that over that uh, 137 days. <laughs> um, missed it. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I've put on, as they say, the COVID put, I've, uh, I think I've put on about 18 pounds. Um, my, my, my watch would tell me on a daily basis how many uh, steps, like everybody, how, how many steps I've been doing. And usually by about 12 o'clock on the day that the shop would be open, I would have probably 10,000 done and by the time I'd leave at 6, 7 o'clock that evening it'd be 20 plus I wasn't even hitting the 10 a day so that's how the pounds go on Yeah but yeah, you mentioned one of your team members felt really good uh, getting back it must make a you know it, there must be a real pep in the step of people in retail at the moment Absolutely. It's just very positive just to get the doors open again. And please God, this is it now um, with the vaccine rollouts and that. Hopefully uh, we can get to a point now that we can keep the doors open constantly. Yeah, well, look, Philip, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break. But after the break, we'll talk to you about what the actual experience of the last week has been as uh, Philip and the team there in detail have opened the doors in their stores in Potato Market and High Street in Kilkenny. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie. It's ten and a half minutes away from ten o'clock. Uh, coming up at ten o'clock is Edward Hayden, and uh, just good to see that Edward was uh, is a newly minted ambassador for Kilkenny Tourism during the week. And best of luck to him and everyone involved in tourism across Carlow and Kilkenny. We're so lucky in this area to have so many world class tourism attractions and businesses. But you don't have to be a tourist to appreciate them, of course. And uh, you should take advantage of the good weather. Looking out the window, it is quite bright still. So uh, it is a weekend. So if you do get an opportunity, get out and uh, take in some of the great local tourism sites and places of interest. But of course, get out and you can get into local shops. And Philip MacDonald runs uh, a very high profile and successful local business, Detail Menswear. Um, Philip, uh, when we spoke the last time in the first and second lockdown, there was a very high public um, message of support local and everybody was going on about that. Has that endured during um, the the most recent lockdown, do you think? You know, is the level of support quite as strong as ever? I would have thought so, uh, John, yeah. Looking out here through my window this morning now and I see the Carlo Farmers Market and that is absolutely... Just the crowds around that is just going up week by week and uh, I suppose that's a real indication of shop local, stay local, support local. And um, as I said, we would have seen it definitely in store as well. People just trying to give you a dig out and help you and trying to 
spend their money locally, like, you know? Yeah, and um, we're always hearing the message which we'd reiterate to, you know, shop safely, uh, keep your distance, all that. How are you finding, you know, as you said, people were out of the habit of shopping for 137 days. When you open the doors during the week, are people very much abiding by the social distancing, the washing their hands, being masked and so on? Uh, absolutely. Um, like, there's nobody coming into stores anymore without a mask. Um, we have all our um, all our sanitation in place again. It's, it, 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 it's like riding a bicycle. They were so used to it. It's just automatic now. When they come to the door, they, 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 they splash and dash to put on the sanitizer and come on in, like, you know? Yeah. Um, we, we, we also have a situation there still in place that if we feel that we have enough people in the shop we just close over a barrier and let people just queue outside and people are used to that as well. Yeah, it's amazing how people are adaptable and, and can change and adapt uh, to the new normal. Tell us about the week just gone. What way did it uh, unfold when you opened the door on Monday morning? Well, um, we, we had a couple of things. We, we, we did a launch on our um, social media uh, with, with the reopening in mind. We actually took in a new range of um, suiting with the kind of the Peaky Blinders look. And we w- actually went down to Tully's Bar in Carlow and we did a photo shoot and a video launch and a video. And we launched that all over our social media last weekend. So it kind of given people content online to give them that excuse to come in and, and visit us. And that really, really worked. Um, also then, I suppose, early in the week, the demographics was a slightly older um, customer that we would have had coming back into the store, which is great to see. And then later in the week, I suppose, we were starting to see the guys working on building sites, this, that and the other, especially yesterday afternoon, Friday, they were coming back in after their week's work and they were looking for some new clothes, <laughs> which yeah. is great. Um, it, to, it in anticipation of, of pubs reopening and, and things getting back to normal. Hopefully, it was funny actually. Do you know what our biggest seller in uh, in sort this week was? Hit me now. Underwear. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I won't go down that particular line of questioning uh, uh, too much, Philip. But on a, on a more uh, divine thing, I, I, I do see on your website that you say, uh, keep calm, we've got communions covered. Um, that was something, you know, that was a big occasion for many families. But, you know, there have some really uh, yeah, happened. Um, What's the story there and what do you expect? Uh, and on that, the whole thing of weddings, special occasions, office parties, communions, they were all big business uh, occasions, I would imagine. Uh, yeah, still very uncertain. Yeah, it's very uncertain, and um, it looks like the government have uh, really honed in on those kind of occasions that they want to keep numbers to a minimum with regards to um, weddings and um, even funerals to that extent. But uh, it looks like communion confirmations probably September, I would say, John, you know. Yeah, uh, tell me, um, your business now is going to be a mixture of online and bricks and mortar. What do you see as the future of bricks and mortar? Are you optimistic about it? Like, have people got a bigger, more uh, keener appreciation of actually going into a shop? I, As somebody said to me yesterday, and used the word tactile. So they were, they just were buzzing that the fact that they could come in, look and feel and touch. That's one thing that we will never, never be able to get across online is that tactile feel of clothing and being able to try something on before you buy. You know what I mean? So we'll always have that. But it's up to retailers 
you know, to really step up to the plate there and have their stores inviting. But there again, you know, it's it's a two-way thing as well. I, I think your online has to be in a position to drive people to your store as well. So the message that you have online is for sale online, but also trying to drive people to your bricks and mortar as well. Yeah, and so um, you're feeling good about the summer ahead? Uh, please, God, yeah. No, it, it's, uh, it, it's just really positive just to get the door open. Great to see people back in on the shop floor again. Like, it's, it's just great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, as a great local business, we wish you all the best. And we're delighted to uh, hear a Casey Law. We're getting out and about in our broadcaster, which has been uh, in mothballs for the last couple of months. And Emer and the Casey Law live team, as well as John Keane and Casey Law Lunch, are in Kilkenny at the Tulsal Town Hall on Friday the 28th for the first OB of our Shop Local and Shop Safely Tour which is supported by Kakenny and Carlow uh, County Council and the local uh, enterprise offices there so if you're listening and you're out and about come along and be sure to pop over and say hi to us in a socially distanced uh, manner and of course that's just outside your door of your detail menswear store right. in uh, Kilkenny Philip and uh, perhaps we'll, you'll hop along and say hello to us then Thanks, John. Okay, well, good to talk to you as always, Philip. That was Philip MacDonald from Detail Menswear in Carlow and Kilkenny. That's about all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email The Bottom Line at kclaw96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to this show or any episode of The Bottom Line, check out the KCLR app and head to the podcast section and don't have, forget to have a listen to some of our other great podcasts, including The Big Game Live, a new one where you'll be able to listen back to live commentaries of hurling, camogie, rugby, football and more. And of course, the bottom line can be found at the Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify. Just search for the bottom line. Got a big, quite long text in about water charges, which Jim Power had mentioned earlier in the show uh, from Jeannie. Thanks for that, Jeannie. Unfortunately, we didn't have time to get it and it's not really our bag here on the bottom line, but we get your points. Thanks to all our guests this week on the programme. Jim Power, Zume Germain, Kevin Brennan, Ivor O'Loughlin and Philip MacDonald. Thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produces the show. Thanks to you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next uh, week, just after nine, for more stories about uh, business. In the meantime, stay safe and stay tuned to Casey Law. Keep your distance, keep doing the right thing and keep the faith. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.